Whenas in silks my Julia goes, then, then, methinks, how sweetly flows that liquefaction of her clothes. Next, when I cast mine eyes and see that brave vibration each way free, oh, how that glittering taketh me. Hey, everyone. Aaron started us out with an excerpt from a Shakespeare poem, was that? No, this week I chose to defer to Robert Herrick. He was a 17th century English <laughs> poet. I was going to write one because this is the last episode of our fashion semester. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd write something about one of my biggest fashion muses, you. Thank and how you. I think it's kind of this age-old story of, of romance where people catch each other's eye by like how they dress and mm. this kind of thing. But then I found this poem... And it was going to change because in the first line he says, my Julia, I was just going to change it to my Alicia, but I thought that would seem a little bit, I don't know, plagiaristic, despite my poetry this week being mistaken for Homer's. That was well, that's what like, I was going for with that joke. Yeah. But then you actually did steal the poem. Yeah, I did. Okay. Well, I, I'm crediting it, so I didn't steal true, it. True, true. <laughs> so this week we're going to be reviewing the fashion semester and each bringing one more thing that we want to cover because sometimes when we do a semester... On a topic, there's one or two things that get left out, so we both were able to choose whatever we wanted. Yeah, and then in the subsequent week, we'll be like, ah, nuts. Yeah. Forgot to talk about that. So this is kind of like at weddings when they say, speak now or forever hold your peace, Mm -hmm. which is one of my bucket list items, by the way. To like ruin a wedding? Well, not ruin, but I'll say interrupt Mm. or augment, let's say. The only wedding I've ever been to is our own. Yeah, so you augmented that in lots of ways. But unfortunately, no one no one took that opportunity. If he even said it. Did he say it? No, I don't think he did. Yeah. That's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, we also, Aaron said, make sure you wear your most fashionable outfits. So I wore mine and I see you wore your tiger shirt. <laughs> <laughs> We're on YouTube. Listen, watch on, watch on YouTube. You can see that actually what I said was, let's dress to the nines. Mm-hmm. And then I said, oh, do you know the origin of that? I'll bring it for the episode. Did you bring it? Yeah, I did. It's a little bit of an underwhelming thing because they're not quite sure where dressed to the nines came mm. from which surprised me because i thought it seems like one of those things that would have been a definitive mm-hmm. here's the origin and there are some speculation some speculation some theories but there isn't one like concrete this is the thing because apparently like some fabric used to be sold in nine yards and so yeah. like sometimes especially like suiting fabric or something like that but people are like, that's a ridiculous excess to use on a suit. Mm-hmm. And there was another poem from the 1700s in Scottish that said, the bonny wines therein thou sent me, how to the nines they did content me. So people could use like to the nines as in like a g- generic, I think, superlative. Like, like highly. Oh, highly, yeah. Like yeah. beautiful or, or special. But dressed to the nines, I think the first recorded instance of that was in the 1800s. And also people could say it's something to do with the nine muses, which were a favorite in poetry Mm. as in a a high reference point. And also in Old English, I guess people used to say dressed to the eyes, like E-Y-E's. And the way they used to spell it was like to the nines. So sorry, that's a really bad way to start an episode. No, it's interesting though. Okay, so my choice for an issue or something that I wanted to address before the semester is over is a lack of knowledge around fashion and like we've touched on this throughout the semester obviously but I wanted to have a designated segment envisioning ways that we can resolve this issue Mm. as well as just speaking on how quickly it went from being a part of curriculum to being completely lost knowledge okay 
So my mom, shout out, one generation above me, when she was in school all throughout her 12 years of primary school, took home ec classes where they learned how to sew, knit, mend, and then do other housey things like cooking, obviously. But that was just one generation ago. And then you and I didn't have this really. Did you ever have that? No. We had two years of it. Okay. We had, it was, the year was split family studies and tech ed. So it was basically like cooking and woodworking. Okay. Actually, we did have this, but my school got condemned. Yeah. So we didn't actually We don't need to go into that. But I'm just, (laughs) I'm reflecting on it now and it seems a little bit bizarre that we actually, like the, the grade was split. It was like. Women do the family studies, men do the oh, tech really? ed, and then switch. But for some oh, reason, there was no there was no mingling, which was bizarre. But That's in strange. in family studies, we did sew a small teddy bear, okay. and I think we made sock puppets. That was the extent of the garmentry we we worked on. Yeah, so I it's made, not completely um, lost. I made gnocchi. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay, then I'll say younger than us because yeah. neither of my sisters have this. <laughs> and I do. When you said that, I remember. Yeah, we did technically have those courses but then because our school got shut down we just spent all that course time on the computer doing typing classes where you know those like <laughs> drills where you have to like hit the letters with the right finger yeah but i've never done that yeah so that's all we did for just like two years was typing drills and, and i'm not that fast of a typer in the woodworking we got the final big final project was to make a piggy bank okay. and we got to choose whether we wanted it to be a turtle a whale or i think an actual pig well do you want to guess which one I chose? Pig? No, it was a turtle. Okay. That's yeah. impressive for like eighth graders. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I assume you did it like seventh and eighth grade? Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, anyway, <laughs> there's a. <laughs> We're just going to have a bunch of tangents this episode. But there's an immense lack of knowledge surrounding how to mend your clothes and how to create your own clothes. And in the solo scene, I don't think everyone is going to be hand sewing all of their garments like we used to. Because it. It's an inefficient use of time. Like, I think having people who are experts in this, like tailors and dressmakers making clothes is fine. Yeah, trousinos, shirtsmen. Yeah, exactly. Like, having those types of people around because they'd be quicker at it. They'd have all the better material because I don't think everyone needs to own a sewing machine necessarily. But having a knowledge of how it's made would mean that you wouldn't end up like me thinking, well, all of the clothes that are $6 for a t-shirt are just made on machines. Not just like on sewing machines. I just assumed at this point in the world, everything was like mass produced the way that like... Oh, I can convey about Automated. Okay. Yeah. And that there were no like hands on the sewing machines. That it was all somehow done without human hands. Well, as you know, until very recently, I didn't know what fabric was. It's true. I thought that, I thought that they just somehow were produced in sheets. Yeah. Sheets of stuff. Clothes stuff. You don't know that it's spun from thread. Mm-hmm. and then woven together yeah. so i think in schools we could teach people this maybe do a weaving couple of weeks where you weave a scarf like it doesn't have to be anything more than a teddy bear or more than a piggy bank mm-hmm. but just knowing how it's actually made and perhaps including a bit of information surrounding how the clothes are actually made in the world i like this i think now i'm regretting that we didn't have an episode that was kind of a crossover with our education semester talking about mm-hmm. fashion in school so i guess you're doing it now yeah and also it's because kids have an interest in that kind of kids like how it's made that tv exactly. show my like, kids like learning about that 
they like watching their builder bear be made and stuffed. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Did you ever have that? Yeah, I did. They love the process mm-hmm. because I think they like raw materials and they like the feeling of things and watching things come together. So I think it wouldn't even be unpopular with children. No, of course not. I think kids love crafts. Crafts, exactly. Or classes and so on. But obviously, yeah, those are the first to be cut, especially with these home skills, homemaking skills. It's strange that they were cut because they seem so basic that it's like, yeah, this should be taught in schools. But I suppose they were the more expensive classes to run. Yeah, I just think things things are funneling ever towards STEM. But think about like doing a second grade or first grade class where you dye something. Mm -hmm. Like that would be like wizardry for children. Exactly. Like one of my favorite things about Waldorf schools is that they just have like, yeah, textile course throughout their entire education. And I've heard people complain, like they put their kids into a Waldorf school and they're just like, my kid's in third grade and he doesn't know how to read, but all he knows how to do is knit. <laughs> yeah, there's a happy medium. Yeah, exactly. But it, it's it's funny that there's like this kind of niche group of educators who are just like so fixated on like the textiles and so fixated on the arts. And I think it's, yeah, we just need kind of a happy medium. I think also this is a wider point about agency in adults which starts when you're kids people are conditioned into what they can or can't do so it's like Mm -hmm. this is a little bit of an abstract thought but if everybody is just doing math from a very young age math's good for children like we know Mm -hmm. this and science and more kind of papery traditional subjects that's obviously good for the brain but math doesn't actually you can't make anything with math when Mm -hmm. you're young when you're old, you can do computer science and make a program and make a video game and all that kind of stuff. But when you're young, you're just solving things that are laid out before you. But if you are doing sewing or woodworking or something like that, you can forge something anew from mm. a very young age. Like from a, when I was like seven, I was knitting. I don't know why, but <laughs> and I, I've lost that skill now. But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I remember when my grandmother taught me how to sew. I was insistent on making everyone little pouches for christmas they were so bad and like i think they were hand sewn for some reason like the sewing machine broke down and i was like still like i need to make these but yeah like just being able to make little things and i think as kids knowing that your options are more varied than just stem yeah but and I'm not, perhaps crossing them over a little bit yeah i don't even mean career path i mean it's how you view the world and yourself as an agent in it. Mm-hmm. Like it's the difference between going to H&M and being thinking that all these clothes just came off a conveyor belt or mm-hmm. were magically prepared in one sheet or looking at it and saying, yeah, I could actually do that if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Like you, it's a, I guess it's a deep seated kind of competence with which you can traverse the world. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the second part of this is more leaning towards the adult side of, being conscious consumers because as I was saying like I didn't realize until I got into slow fashion how things were made or how intensely terrible the working conditions were and the environmental conditions in which the clothes we wear and the food we eat are made in so in the soul scene it's like obvious probably to you and I but maybe we can mention it here that people will have this knowledge and that because corporations are made up of individuals the individuals within these corporations will not be sketchy they'll just like not have as much of an inclination to exploit there'll still be people exploiting always but the consumers will demand transparency and 
those companies won't thrive the way that they have over our lifetimes. Yeah, I think it's it's a funny it's funny the way that it's manifested in the age of the internet where people will happily boycott over tweets and profile pictures and politics of like a beer company or a milk producer or something like that. Mm-hmm. But then they won't go into the meaningful actual effects that those companies have in the way that they operate. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's it's more about I guess the optics of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's should I say it's often bemoaned or ridiculed the way that people try to hold companies to task on Twitter. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's all a bad idea or all a bad sentiment. I think it's a it's a good idea that people recognize how much power we have as buyers, but maybe enact it in a more discerning and purposeful way. Yeah. I've even heard from people who work in big corporations that they don't know like they perhaps, for example, it's someone who's a buyer or a marketer for H&M and they don't realize how bad the company is because even internally it's not transparent. Mm-hmm. And in the soul scene, people will know the right questions to ask and like know the history of the destruction that these industries have done and therefore will have an awareness of it. But right now we don't know the history and we don't know the current situation, so we don't really feel the need to ask the questions. Yeah, that's a pertinent point. I went on a website for a clothing brand, not to buy, but just to to look at for to prepare for a solo scene episode mm-hmm. during one of the previous weeks. I don't remember which brand it was or else I would name and shame them. <laughs> but at the bottom, it was a smaller brand. They had the the links to like contact or about us, sustainability, ethics, or you know, the links to pages that will at least offer you some kind of marketing buzzwords about those things but the links they were just words like you couldn't click them oh my gosh <laughs> because i guess they they didn't think didn't people would go down there yeah but that was really funny <laughs> oh my gosh yeah it's just like sometimes when i've bought things i'm like oh like early on in the sustainability run of my lifestyle it's like even you'd go to h&m you're like oh conscious brand cool that's like must mean that it's conscious doesn't mean that they just called it that so that's an extra funny example. That's all I had on my final point for the solo scene. Don't forget almanacs to bring it full circle. Yeah. I said at the start of the semester, every home will have like a fashion almanac. Mm-hmm. Okay, for my topic, I'm stealing something that you coined during last week's episode. I caught when I was listening back that I really liked. You called it the great softening. Okay. Do you remember what that referred to? It was referring to people wearing soft clothes to work and so on instead of crispy which means like suits and more tailored garments. Yeah, the great softening kind of lending it this conspiratorial edge, <laughs> whereas if it's as if governments or corporations have deliberately turned us into these sweatpant wearing balls of soft... Marshmallow. Yeah, marshmallows. And I'm also Trojan horsing the topic or being a little bit cheeky by including a, a subsection, which is all about shoes. Because that's, I guess that's my soapbox, my shoe box, if you will. Yeah. So I showed you this morning the doodle that I made in oh, pre- yeah. preparation for this episode, which was about how feet are and how feet should be. Mm. And you could see one was very pointy and slender and evil and wiry. And the other was beautifully wide with the toes. I think the word is splayed. Mm. Because if you look at people who have never worn shoes, 
the feet were completely different to those of us who have been subjects to the square watermelon boxes. Mm-hmm. You know how they grow watermelons in boxes to make yes, them square. I, I think we, that. we kind of do that to our feet. We do. So the toes should be almost the widest part. Yeah. People might be saying, why does it matter what shape our feet are? Well, basically there's a lot of anatomical consequences to the square watermeloning of our feet. Well, it makes sense because they're the bottom of us and then they root and connect everything Root, like else. a tree. Yeah. If you have a tree which is growing in this one tub, mm-hmm. then... You know when roots have to grow around fences and stuff and it looks weird and things grow into them. People put a wire around it and it gets really narrow for that part. We do that with our feet. But to continue the tree analogy, the branches can get messed up Mm -hmm. because of this. So there's like bunions and stuff that can happen on the feet. But also your muscles become weaker depending on the type of shoes that you wear because a lot of them have unnecessarily high rises and padding. And it can mess with your joints, it can mess with your back. And generally, we're just quite misaligned, I think, because of it. Posture, like posture changes a lot depending on the shoes that you are accustomed to wearing. Yeah, I wonder because I know acupuncturists use feet a lot as like a central point for releasing different muscles or different like feelings, even emotions. So I wonder if the, the squeezing of the feet has impacted our psyches in any way. Yeah, it's getting a little bit hokey for me, but well, I'm just curious. I, I can I can believe it. I did have written down earthing, yeah, because there is a spiritual idea of your feet are the thing which is almost in constant contact with the planets, grounding, I guess. And when you have that layer separating, you be a chunky slice of rubber from like another continent. There's a big difference between being barefoot or wearing like. I don't know, hand-knitted socks or something. So I've mentioned this on the podcast probably 18 times before, but I'll reiterate. (laughs) I feel like being barefoot in the solo scene will be a much more normalized thing. And people are always like, ew, gross, feet, gross. And they understand like they're beneath us, so they support a lot of weight and they're never the most kissable part of the body. (laughs) They're not. It's true. But one, I think a lot of that is because they're in shoes all day, tight shoes all day. And two, we don't have a natural aversion to the shape of feet. Because I hear people say about minimalist shoes versus traditional pointy shoes, like, oh, this shape just looks better. Mm-hmm. It's like, you would only think that because of big shoe. Mm-hmm. Big shoe, the industry, making you <laughs> think that. Because there's no way that biologically we prefer a non-human shaped shoe yeah and it's strange that has proliferated across the whole world it's not just a western thing it's like for some reason tiny feet have always been and like pointy feet are yeah preferred but i feel like it is always top down some kind of weird class big big thing yeah but my other point about people being grossed out by let's say not wearing shoes in public is that they're still socks Mm -hmm. like it doesn't always mean that people are just padding around bare toe yeah, I think we we all you can still wear socks. Remember at the swimming pool when you were a kid? Oh yeah. And everyone was like, "Don't get athlete's foot." Mm. Did you ever get athlete's foot? No, I don't even know what that is. Yeah, well, I feel like every time we used to go to the pool, something weird would happen. But that's kids; they're always <laughs> sneezy and snotty. And in but the I... solo scene, people will be cleaner. <laughs> but I just think, for instance, like 
the one place that is maybe accepted is like on a plane, long plane ride, kick off your shoes. I think people do that. Yeah. Maybe underneath the blanket so no one will notice. Mm -hmm. But I think, let's say at the cinema. Yeah. I think that should be. Well, I think socks, as you said, are good. Yeah. And even just like at the pool, maybe like slip ons or something. Like it doesn't have to always be like shoes. It can be just like. Shoes. It can be different. Maybe there could be more diversity in the shoe well, hold on, hold world. On. Let me... Oh, yeah. I have some solutions. So, the thing is, aesthetically, currently, we have dress shoes, which don't pass my rule that I mentioned last week about if the clothes were sentient, would it be evil? Mm-hmm. Almost always, they are evil. Men's and women's. Because mm-hmm. men's come to that evil point. Women's have, as you mentioned last week, that evil stilt. They yeah, do. They do. Do you remember that one pair of amphibian shoes that you have? Or had, yes. Yeah. Those were kind. They were kind because they were rounded, mm-hmm. and they just looked funny. They look like cartoon little loaves of bread. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. So that's dress shoes. And with sneakers, currently, I think as I've mentioned, it's good that they are soft. It's good that people prioritize comfort. They're still not properly shaped, and also they're almost always very heavily branded, neon, unethical. You know, not very good, mm-hmm. not very soulsing. So my idea for the solution, in addition to being barefoot, is having soles, durable soles. And maybe people can make their own or buy their own uppers locally or just have those made to measure and then sewn on. Okay, Because remember I said in a previous episode, durable clothes are cool, but also really undurable clothes are cool like things that are made to break down in like a season because then you can change it like winter tires so i think it could be like that for shoes you go to your local cobbler either you have the upper because uppers really don't need the structure that people think for one thing Mm -hmm. and also i just think they could be a lot simpler and better shaped if they were made to your foot so that's one thing if they were like knit on or something like that that's what i mean yeah that's cool and Another idea I had was moccasins. Mm. Like moccasins are the kindest, one of the kindest They're garments. Soft lining, soft lining, round, bendy. Just mm-hmm. they look comfortable, but they also don't look. They don't look like you're dressed down. Yeah, because they're usually quite ornate. I feel like laces on quick shoes. I'll say like shoes that are just meant to be slip on and go around and go to the shop or whatever. It's a little bit incongruous mm-hmm. they shouldn't be necessary yeah i feel that i've just started wearing lace-up boots again and i'm like this isn't but boots are one thing because boots are <laughs> i like boots i feel like boots have this really appealing kind of inconvenience to them mm. they take ages they're formal <laughs> they're heavy they're bulky but i like that okay. so i think every everything has its place mm. and then two final points more shoes should just, should be just one color simple Easy, cartoon loaves of bread. And second point, why is sizing just like throwing a dart and then stumbling, oh, okay, here I'm size 10 and a half, here I'm size 11, there I'm size 6. It's what it is. Like, Why can't brands be, why can't there be a uniformity to this? Like, why can't the size just be the measurement? Like, like an EU sizing. Exactly. Yeah, that's how it should be. That's how it should be. Yeah. Because it's like if you have trousers. And I think the inches around 30, 32, 34, like that's very normalized. Mm-hmm. But if you just said, actually 32, that's now two and a half. Yeah. It's like, what does that mean? Exactly. It, actually, isn't that how women's sizing is? 
Um, some women, some are like, That's, yeah, two, so four, arbitrary. six, eight. Yeah, I hate it. It's like, do you remember when you and I, I feel like we came to this realization at the same time that, like, men and women's shampoo, like, there's no reason for them to be gendered. And it's similar with shoes. It's well, like, I think there is. I feel like if it's in a pink bottle, men, <laughs> you can't, well, I mean, you could, but you can't call yourself a man. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> okay. We realized we're like, hair is hair. But it's the same with feet. It's like, why, if the sizes are just like EU sizes, it makes more sense. But in US and Canada, yes. they're, they're like slightly different. Like a size six men's is a size seven women's. Yeah, but I think, don't women have different shaped feet? Is that? I don't think so. Oh. I think like a foot's a foot. So that's my shoe section. <laughs> and then just regarding the greater softening at large which I kind of optimistically thought it's as if we're all gearing up for an apocalypse. Okay. Because it's as if people dress now like we always... Have to run. Like you've like you got to yeah. run somewhere. Like there's going to be a zombie apocalypse and you don't want to be caught in your dinner jacket, mm-hmm. dinner coats. But then I thought actually it's a lot more warly than it is Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. I can see that. But that's an interesting observation. Because sometimes I feel like I dress much softer than I want. But it's partially because to get anywhere here, I have to walk up to an hour. Yeah. So it's kind of like I don't really want to be wearing... Yeah, but I think you're a bit of an outlier or we're a bit of an outlier because it's this paradox of people wearing athleisure everywhere, mm-hmm. but then maybe living more sedentary lives than ever before. Yeah, that's fair. Wearing athleisure just to get in your car. To go to the office, to yeah. work, to get in your car, to go home, to go to sleep. You know, that is geared towards the crispiest of clothes. It is. And I just had a few points about this. Firstly, is lifestyle slash having occasion to dress. Because we mentioned before, people don't have galas or balls or occasions to dress to the nines so often, um, which is true. But also to dress up to work. People, like so many jobs now are just on a computer. You don't need hard clothes at all. So people are like, why would I wear them? Mm-hmm. My one productive thing per day that isn't sitting is making dinner for us and i cherish that time <laughs> but it's like because we live in a city there's there's no like wood to chop there's no it's snow true. we don't even get to snow, uh, shovel our own snow mm-hmm. so i think having more occasion to do work will make people dress for it yeah and along with this i think temperature control people don't realize that we can manually change our temperature tolerance I have accidentally stumbled into this because I've made my already warm body, I think, even warmer over the years. <laughs> you know what I'm it's talking true. about? I've definitely made my body warmer. Because I used to be cold at like 19 degrees. Yeah. And now like we sleep with the room and probably like 16 to 18. But and you, I'm fine. You, you condition yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think because people might say, oh, why would I wear crispy clothes? Let's say in the summer, it's way too hot for that. So you can actually change your body temperature a little yeah, bit. Yeah, get more used to it. Because you think about lumberjacks in flannel, heavy flannel shirts and heavy denim. Mm-hmm. I feel like most people today wouldn't be able to cut that. It's true. You'd be like, oh, this is too itchy, too hot, too sweaty. Or Rocky used to go on like long runs in sweatpants and a sweatshirt, which was heavy, heavier cotton back then. Mm-hmm. And now everything athletic is like lightweight, lightweight, lightweight. So... That's just one idea. That is an interesting idea. And I guess thirdly, regarding combating the great softening, or I'll just say like 
utilitarianism in general is really indulging in arts, really looking at beautiful things. For this question, or for this topic, I kind of started at the idea of architecture, which I've been mentioning throughout the semester, and how minimalism or austerity in building design has also been mirrored in the clothes in which we inhabit those buildings. I had this line, it was like something like, treading with footstep and floor, the same design theory. And I think if you look at old ornamental buildings or like Baroque architecture and the the ornate carvings on those kind of things, it makes you think of dress in a different way because it's like, I wouldn't say quite living up to that kind of style, but you realize that not everything just has to be functional. Yeah, and it just simply inspires you because at the moment, the only inspiration we have are those minimalist interiors. Yeah, that's that's so the norm that I think it can be hard to to dress outside of that gray dystopianism. Mm-hmm. So I have five main points of things I learned. Would you like to go back and forth? Yeah, let's alternate. I just call mine takeaways. I think it's less about specific facts just to regurgitate from previous episodes because I feel like that would be boring and mine lean more towards changed opinions. Okay. So it's a little bit more subjective. But. Yeah. Okay, so my first one is I didn't realize before the semester just how Solacena concept magazines and fashion runways were because I just was like, ah, oh, they're probably not that because they're very consumer-centered. They're very, like, classist. But then as we did our episodes on magazines and on runways it made me realize these are really great community events or community bulletins that can be used to disseminate ideas and provide inspiration for people in a way alternative to just scrolling on pinterest Mm. because right now it's the only real inspiration we can get is scrolling on our phones but these are two physical places and items that you can have in your hands yeah and they're wonderfully finite Mm -hmm. like they're curated tactile some might say yeah you and i went to the expo zine this weekend and it was like wow magazines zines super cool super solo scene and they're they don't have to be big they don't have to be run by like the new york times they can be run by just a couple of people and maybe a couple hundred people read them but it's still it creates these little micro niches i think it's cool yeah i mean it used to be called subcultures yeah i feel like those don't really exist anymore but in Mm -hmm. so assume they do they do so the first thing to mention that i've been thinking about a lot during the semester which is a mildly changed opinion is about selfies or fit pics or hashtag outfit of the day that kind of culture i guess just taking picture of yourself ostensibly to highlight the clothes which i've always just thought is a very vain and pretty much irredeemable practice Mm -hmm. and i still think it's usually vain but i don't think it necessarily always is or has to be now so i guess i've softened a little bit on that opinion so what value or what redeemable qualities do you see about this what do you think perhaps that it's documenting it as a piece of art or like as a kind of yeah i guess it's that i guess it's like um you know, for films, when they'll have the main poster, but then they'll do character posters. Mm-hmm. Iron Man on one, the raccoon on another. I feel like it's maybe a little bit like that. Okay, yeah, and that makes sense. 
also, I guess it's just like, if that kind of fashion was irredeemably vain, then like this whole semester has been basically a waste of time. But I mean, fashion, it is, it is quite vain. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it is about dressing up to make yourself look nice. Yeah. But I, I guess it's more that I don't think that's bad. Yeah, I it's, think it's, it's a different type of vanity. It's more just like, I guess, self-expression in a way or trying to communicate something yeah. non-verbally. But I think, it's, I think it's also often trying to communicate to yourself. Like, I think it's this, this interaction that we have with the persona through, our, through the way that we dress ourselves. Keeping with the superheroes, in one of the Spider-Man movies, he gets like his suit revoked or something, his mm -hmm. Spider-Man suit. And I think the person says, if you're nothing without the suit, you, don't, you shouldn't have it. Yeah, that does, I think that's what Iron Man says to him. Right, but it's like, okay, so he's he's having an unhealthy relationship to that persona of Spider-Man, mm -hmm. where he's relying on it, he's taking too many selfies in it, he feels like he's not himself without makeup. Mm -hmm. But at the end of it, it's not the case that he shouldn't have the suits, he does get the suit back, mm -hmm. I think. But he just, he's better integrated with that. You know, psychologically. Yeah. Well, just went very young in there for a moment. No, but I think that's. I feel like that's. Uh, <laughs> Integrated with his shadow, and then now he's a Superman. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why you should take selfies. Yeah. But that's why maybe selfies aren't all bad, is what I'm saying. Okay, cool. My next one is. But candid's, candid oh. pictures are better. Yeah, for sure. I saw some footage from like a old. Um, what are those cameras called? Where you like. You wind them up. Yeah, you wind them up. Like, just footage from, like, a family vacation, and it made me really want to get a physical camera that, like, shoots on film. It's we, so expensive. Yeah, we do have one. No, like, a video camera. Oh, yeah. Yeah, super expensive, but I think it would be super neat, because, like, those moments are so candid. Because it's like, if you mess up, there's just absolutely no, yeah. like, you have to develop we, it. We never, we never talked in this semester about fashion posing and that kind of thing mm. especially menswear as you know this is a gripe of mine um the go-to poses like if someone's wearing a suit and they are having pictures taken of them yeah i find them almost always unbearable and i don't know why other people don't feel this as well i feel like everybody should prefer candids by like a billion or just something mildly more natural than like the staging your, always like touching your adjusting your watch or yeah, like or pulling it down pulling the lapel or something like that yeah. it, i just cannot bear it it's like oh angle your face it takes me back to school picture day but i guess that's me being shy on camera mm. yeah okay my next lesson or takeaway is from our episode we did on fabrics and different like types of fabrics and my first point is about leather and fur because the last couple weeks I've realized that leather and fur have completely snuck back in because in the 70s up until the early 2000s, fur was like a complete faux pas. I remember not wanting to even wear like fake fur because it, it felt wrong and immoral. Yeah, big year for leather, 2023. Big year for leather and fur because every thrift store I've gone to lately has a rack of fur at the front mm. and obviously everyone buying it is like well it's secondhand, so it's not unethical however this is how it sneaks back in is people being like oh i'm buying it ethically and as we talked about on the textiles episode is that a lot of big fashion brands will market their fur as sustainable 
cuttings or something like that. But it doesn't actually mean that there weren't animals killed for it. It still required the death of a lot of animals and the environmental impact that goes along with that. So just be wary of the Lutheran for a revival. And I also realized that I never talked about jeans as a garment of the week. So this week is Levi's jeans is the oh not Levi's the garment of the week. So I have a pair here. These aren't five hundred ones, but they're pretty darn close. Do you know all the numbers? Five hundred ones, the only ones they kind of have stuck with. Two hundred one also exists, but these are just the balloon ones. So I did a bit of research into the history of Levi's because they were the first brand to patent the riveted design. So rivets are those little metal things at points of stress. Uh, yeah, that's what I hate. Yeah, I know. So originally they were designed for gold miners. So they're very durable. And they were called until the mid-1900s, they were called waist overalls, which I find very funny. Mm. And they had a few other elements that have been removed. They used to have until about like 1908, I want to say, little buttons for suspenders they had a stretchy part and the tag on the back that they all have, like the leather one. Apparently, it's not leather anymore. It's like some kind of cardstock or something, they said. This looks kind of leather. But anyway. Yeah, I used to have one. So it was just it literally just cardboard. Yeah. So I think this one, they might have gone back to leather or some kind of fake leather. They're probably just older. But for a long time, they were just cardstock, yeah. which is so funny to me. And the red tag, these ones don't have. But all of those little, like, Levi's branded elements. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Were slowly added over time. And, yeah, I think Levi's jeans are really great because they've remained pretty high quality throughout all the years. Because these ones feel less high quality than the vintage ones I used to own, but they still are similar weight. So I think they used to use about 10 ounces of fabric, 10 or 9 ounces, and now it's closer to 7. So, yeah, they're a little thinner, but... I just really like Levi's jeans. I think it's there's like a cool brand. I thought they were not very Solacene. They're not perfectly Solacene, but they have maintained a degree of sustainability throughout all these years. And I just find it funny how many different things they've patented. So they've patented this like bum wave on like the back pockets. They've patented the rivets, obviously, the two horses on the back logo, the red logo. <laughs> it's just like, it, it's very unsolicene, I guess, in that way of how they... They're super consumerist, <laughs> but they're, they're pretty decent quality jeans. A few more fun facts is that the 501 number was just kind of a lot number for when after they lost their patent. So that it was originally patented in 1873. And then 10 years later, the patent went into the public domain. So people could start producing jeans with rivets themselves. And so once they did that, Levi's had to start like trying to find other ways to differentiate themselves. So they started making more than just the one pair the 501s but 501 was just like the lot number they're pretty sure because in the early 1900s there was a fire that destroyed all the records so they don't really have all the records of the history but anyway i think they're cool would you ever wear denim socks no <laughs> denim is really not breathable maybe we should do a bit of a lightning round in terms of just like i'll say we each say a garment and then we kind of talk about it so like suspenders so we're seeing Yes, I guess, because they can kind of help your clothes serve you better. They look uncomfortable. 
But the thing is, with jeans that fit you properly, they're uncomfortable in other ways. So I feel like if you had slightly loose jeans and had them held up by suspenders, they might be more comfortable in a way. Like the gold miners used to. Yeah, exactly. A couple weeks ago, we saw someone wearing a sleep mask as an accessory. We did see that. I don't agree with that. That feels like the great softening taken to the worst degree. It's true. People are going to be wearing those like sleeping caps. Yeah. (laughs) Sleeping caps. Why? (laughs) I guess sometimes my head gets cold when I'm sleeping. So maybe. Right. That's why. Does it? Yeah, it does. I guess it was when houses were draftier. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll bring those back. For the drafty houses of the soul scene. What about those fingerless gloves? No. People use it for their phones, right? Yeah. Horribly on solo scene. Yeah. Just, it's like, wow, well, frostbite, but I need to text yeah. my brother. It's like, no, you don't need to text <laughs> your brother. Um, okay, my takeaways, I have three in one, which are three difficulties that I've kind of realized. One of them is the difficulty of having a, I think it's called a capsule wardrobe or a minimalist wardrobe. Because I always thought that was a very easy thing. It's like, oh, instead of buying three cheaper things, just buy one thing that's really high quality that will last you, blah, blah, blah. And I do think that's the ideal, but I just, I now realize why most people don't do that. Mm -hmm. Because clothes are basically like this expensive trial and error. And so it's easier to just trial things that don't cost as much and aren't such big investments. Yeah, for sure. And also when you do have that one... So you buy one nice sweater for $100 instead of three yep. for 30 each. You're going to wear it three times as much. So it's going to kind of break down. Even no matter how high of a quality it is, it's still going to kind of break down a bit faster. Well, my other point of this is the law of clothes quality and laundry slash stains. Mm-hmm. This is basically a, a, an informal law. It's still in theory that you and I have, which is the nicer the garments, the easier it stains and the, the much more difficult it is to wash. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the second part is just objectively true because mm-hmm. you can throw any old fast fashion thing, throw it in the dirt, roll around on it, grind it with rocks and put it in the tumble dryer like 10 times and it will still be immaculate. Yeah. But if you did that with anything nice, it's going to be like toast. the law of attraction, but like the good garments attract dirt. <laughs> because even like I probably have, I have like four pairs of sweatpants and one of them are very nice that you got me as a gift. Out of all the sweatpants that I've had for years and years, those ones after like a few months just got a bleach stain on them somehow (laughs) and it's like we don't even use bleach like where did this come from yeah it might have been from my hair that time Um, another difficulty is about deglobalizing supply chains because i Mm. used to think like well that happened in only a few decades it should only take that much time to reverse yeah but you don't realize how quickly these things become just terribly entrenched Mm. and the world now is basically like one city or one settlement where you have the garment districts, the agricultural area, mm. you know, the energy area. That's kind of what the world is at large. And it's harder to, to shrink it back, even though I think in Solocene, you know, that is the goal. Yeah, it will be achieved, but it can't just be like mandated overnight. No more clothes made abroad because then there's going to be just millions of people out of work. <laughs> yeah. And it's not going to be good. And then another difficulty is from the episode that we had about solar punk fashion, it's about dressing solar punk is a lot more difficult than i would have once thought because solar is one thing to dress in a way that's sustainably but then i think the punk is another like it's really hard to act or dress let's say in a way that's non-conformist to fashion economy and also fashion culture because the punk also needs to be not just kind of saying um 
no thanks to the man in terms of who you're buying from, but also the man in terms of culturally, it wouldn't be punk to say, oh, that's solar punk core. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, kind of the, the commodification of the aesthetic or subculture itself immediately makes it unpunk. Yeah, for sure. So. Yeah, and even just like in terms of the designers, cause it's like, yeah, you can get a sustainably made white t-shirt, but maybe that's not as punk as maybe a sustainably made cape i was also thinking a bit about that episode we did on like solar punk fashion and something i learned this semester was about the arts and crafts movement which i didn't know about before so for anyone who missed that episode definitely go back and check out our solar punk fashion episode because i do a deep dive on like the arts and crafts movement that's just such a beautiful historical event that was social and artistic i think it is very inspiring to me and i'm going to remain inspired by it long after this semester nice i also my final one is that malls have never been perfect we kind of romanticize malls a bit but they've always been a bit like they've always been designed to make you buy things yeah however in the solo scene i think they're the perfect opportunity to create and design a third place with the idea of so- socialization and community building as like the first like reassociating the word mall with those things. I didn't tell you, but I saw a, a store in Montreal on the street that is big and bright and it has ping pong tables, pool tables. Really? Like, yeah, video games and stuff inside. Okay. I think they have pretzels. Yeah. Okay. So more of these things. More of those things. And still providing the services of malls, hmm. but just in a way that isn't playing music that makes you want to pull your hair out and therefore just buy things instead of considering them pull your hair out and then stuff it in your ears to block yeah basically (laughs) cool do you think that was a good semester i think it was a wonderful semester i didn't think we'd be able to talk about fashion for like 16 episodes but i guess we'll return to it at some point also because obviously it's a it's a passion of yours and it's at least a passing interest of mine Mm -hmm. and we have a clothing line which is going to remain after the semester is over oh that's something else i guess just to close it out like we went to some markets over the last three days Mm -hmm. selling stuff selling zines and the clothes that you make and it was really nice and it made me think of fashion not just as this kind of lived in interactive art form akin to architecture but also basically as a kind of means of communication itself Mm -hmm. like language in that it was mostly women who were shopping at the markets because we have women's clothes but they would come over and it was like there was already a it was like the ice was already broken mm-hmm. between let's say you and them because you have a shared oh i like those kind of vests too mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah i found that as well it was one of the most social things i've ever done like in terms of communicating about the project that is solo scene with a bunch of strangers but show not tell also exactly which is wonderful Thank you to anyone who was at the markets. Maybe listens to the podcast. Yeah, wow, nice that'd be you. crazy. Whoa. Um, they know how we smell in real life. <laughs> Why do I always have to say something like that? You know what we should do to close out the semester? What should we do? Our first ever on-air fist bump. Okay. We're going to reach across the aisle. Bing. Thank you all for listening. Feel free to subscribe on YouTube or check out the gilets on the website. <laughs>